Hi folks, it's Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 594. Folks, we're about to break down the wall of the episode 600. 600 episodes, man. We are, um, we'll hit it sometime next week. What will it be? Uh, let's see, tomorrow will be... 596, so that means next Wednesday, the 2nd of February, we will hit episode 600. Man, it's hard to believe that I've been doing the show long enough to be up to episode 600, but thanks to you guys I have. Today is going to be a great one because today is the last in the four-part series on herbal actions. We've been doing 10 herbal actions per episode. Today we will round out the list of 40 that I have selected. There are more. There's um, probably about 60. Even the book that I pulled these from, which is the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook, says 40 herbal actions to know. So when I saw that, I thought, well, I'll do a show on those 40 herbal actions. And yesterday, as I was rounding out the list, I realized they listed 46 under their own heading of 40. So that tells you that there's more. Anyway... Uh, before we get into today's show, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Starting out with our sponsors, they do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one, Emergency Essentials. If you want to uh, really have a great assortment to choose from when it comes to your long-term storable food, especially. They've got other great stuff, too. But when it comes to long-term food storage, they're really a place you want to check out. The Mountain House, Providing Pantry, all that good stuff, ration bars and things like that. But also... Great big giant pails of, of grains and legumes like beans and rice and wheat and barley and all that good stuff. So check out Emergency Essentials when you're there. If you are not getting their catalog, get their catalog. It's uh, it's kind of like prepper porn, I think some people call it. You know, like they call seed catalogs gardener porn. Well, Emergency Essentials would be one of the prepper porn catalogs. It's just like all this great stuff you'd like to add to what you're saving and what you're doing to prepare for the future. Uh, next up today, Western Botanicals, and I have to send out a specific thank you today to Dr. Kyle Christensen over there. I got a little care package from him yesterday of some herbs because he knows I've been dealing with some kind of a crud in my chest and my throat. And one thing he sent me was an herbal throat spray, and if I sound a little better today, it's because I'm using this stuff. It's got a lot of stuff in it, some stuff we'll even talk about today, but one of the things it has in it is wild cherry bark and elderberry and slippery elm. Those are the first three ingredients, and those are great for the throat. And a little squirt of this stuff once in a while uh, with a pause has really helped me a lot since I got a handle on getting that stuff from Kyle. And they have a great selection of stuff like that that's already prepared and put together for you or raw herbs for your own needs. They also have an amazing program. Uh, it's $50 a year, and you get 25% off every order you ever place. But if you're in our MSB, you get that for free. So that benefit alone pays for your MSB if you're going to be ordering from herbal, uh, from Western uh, Western Botanicals, and I think you should be. Uh, I think herbals play a place in anybody's life. I'll tell you a lot of stuff you can do for yourself today, but uh, there are things that we can do well for ourselves, and there's things we turn to professionals for. And when it comes down to places I'm going to get my herbals, it will always be Western Botanicals. Next up, want to send a quick call out. If you have not joined our forum, please consider joining our forum. You can find it by going to the survivalpodcast.com, clicking on forum, get involved. I say it before, I'll say it again. There's a PhD 
on prepping waiting for you there for free. Everything you could ever want to know, every mistake that you can think of that anybody could make, mistakes you can't think of until you find out somebody else did it, things you think are a good idea that people tried didn't work, things that you think are a good idea and people tried and did work. But, you know, there's this little extra thing you could do. All that kind of stuff and great relationships. I'll tell you what, guys. There are folks that have met on our forum that have formed lifelong friendships that started out there. They found that common interest and they've reached out beyond the forum. I do say whenever you're involved with anything online, don't go giving away personal information until you build trust with people, make your first meeting in public, that type of thing. But our forum is a really great forum, probably one of the best forums online in any genre, and I would say probably the best prepper forum there is, so check it out. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts like the one I talked about. You get free ebooks. It's a great deal. Consider doing it. Support the show at what? About 18 cents an episode. So when you get off the air today, if you think, hey, man, that was worth 20 cents, consider joining the MSB because uh, you're getting your money's worth out of the show. But I'll give you an ROI about 10 to 1 if you use all of the benefits that are available back there. All right. With that, let's go ahead and get into the show. I have to start out with a couple things that I've said on the other three shows, but I've got to say it on each show because I don't know if you've listened to them yet. New listeners every day. Number one, I am not a master herbalist. I am not a naturopathic physician. I am not a naturopathic doctor. I am not a chiropractor. I am not a health professional in any way, shape, or form. I am a layman. I have been using herbs all of my life. I was taught about herbs by my grandfather with simple things like putting a plant and leaf uh, on a cut. Uh, underneath a bandage so that it would heal better and stay uh, uninfected. But I am not giving you professional advice today when it comes to using herbs. I'm trying to give you a general knowledge so that you can seek further knowledge. And when you do consult with a professional, so that you can be an informed client. I know for a fact that unlike a lot of doctors, now I don't want to get any doctors mad at me, because some doctors are the opposite, but unlike a lot of doctors that just want to come out, look at you for five minutes and say, here, do this, this, and this, take this, this, and this, and go away, pay the bill, and get your insurance to pay the rest of the bill, most naturopathic style, herbalist style, chiropractic, any kind of practitioner like that, really enjoys having an informed client. They like someone that comes in and asks questions and wants to know more. They prescribe to the concept of the doctor, the original meaning of doctor, when we go way back uh, to Hippocrates. And in that time frame, doctor didn't mean what it means today, which is all-powerful, all-knowing guy in white coat who tells us what to do and gives us shots and does surgery. It meant teacher. That should make a lot of the DSCs and PhDs out there happy to hear. The original doctor meant teacher. And in one of the, you know, we know Hippocrates from Do No Harm and the Hippocratic Oath. But one of the things that he said that gets lost on most people in modern medicine, even though they see him as the father of modern medicine, is patient, heal thyself. So what I'm giving you today is a general broad knowledge and a lot of things that are really safe that can be part of your everyday diet because they're just foods and a knowledge of what they're doing so that you, you recognize growing them yourself or acquiring them from organic sources or wildcrafted sources and using them in your daily life as what they used to be, which was just plain old food instead of all the crap. So that's that's one disclaimer. The next one is I do not believe in replacement therapy when it comes to herbals. Replacement therapy is I have a headache. Instead of aspirin, I'll take willow bark. While there's a place for some level of that thinking, and if you have a headache and it won't go away and you don't have access to aspirin, Making tea from white willow is probably a good thing to do. 
or a minor fever, same thing. We'll talk about that. And knowing how to do that is valuable. Knowing that you can draw infections from a wound with things like calendula and comfrey um, and, and plantain, great. And knowing how to make a salve from that, great. But when it comes to the underlying health conditions like headaches, like chronic headaches, herbs are about rebalancing the body, not about acute treatment. If we take herbs and we simply go, headache, take these herbs. Stomach ache, take these herbs. And we don't think broader, we might as well just stick with modern medicine. Because most pharmaceutical drugs, especially the ones that are long-term proven safe, used in moderation as prescribed, are more effective than their herbal counterparts. If they're only used for acute treatment of symptoms. So we need to know how to use that acute treatment of symptom with the herb to avoid the drug when we don't want to take it because we don't need that level of action. Or in a shit-hit-the-fan scenario where we don't have that medication available to us because we need the next best thing. The... You know, let's call it peacetime use of herbs is more about an overall balance of the body so that we stay healthy is a preventative aspect. And with an enlightened physician, people that follow the work of folks like Dr. Andrew Weil, and if you haven't read any of his books, I really think you should. I, I think that uh, he's probably the most uh, influential MD when it comes to alternative medication out there. I'm not saying he's the best or the only one. I'm saying the most influential uh, with the work that he's done. And I think he's definitely worth checking out. But I just want you to understand that, that we're looking more about an everyday balance when we talk about these things. And we rely on practitioners, both conventional and alternative, for the more acute situations. Last, you need to make sure you're consulting books, but quality books by quality authors, especially when it comes to things like interactions uh, and, and not taking something when you're pregnant or a lactating mother and things like that. You really need to consult with a professional. I do have three books I highly recommend. One is the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook. The, 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 the uh, herbs in there are highly safe. Uh, the ones that do have certain times when you don't take them are very specific about, hey, don't mess with this at this particular time. Uh, and generally speaking, that is is uh, pregnancy and lactation. Uh, those are two times where, where women really have to be careful with certain herbs. The next one is called the Herbal First Aid and Healthcare Book, and it is by Dr. Kyle Christensen, the guy that sent me the herbs at the beginning of the show. Really recommend his book as part of your first aid kit. Uh, it's something that goes along with the traditional stuff that we would put in a first aid kit. And it's a very enlightening book as well. And the last one, and I really think you need to have this book if you're going to use herbs at all, is the Essential Herb, Drug, and Vitamin Interaction Guide. You need to know if you're taking something, you're taking two things and putting them together, do they create it? Both are safe alone, but they cause a problem together. So those are all my disclaimers. Uh, sorry I had to go through them a second time, but if I don't do that, uh, I don't know, again, how much you've already listened to, and I try to make it a little bit different today and bring more things into it. And I don't think you can hear the concept of it's not about replacement one for one, aspirin with willow. Um, it's about balancing the body. I don't think you can hear that too many times. I think that's like if you go into uh, to a school on self-defense and they talk about situational awareness. So you're going to carry a weapon and, and, and protect yourself, but you need to be aware of the situation. You, you need to hear that every single time you go for more training. And I think when it comes to herbs, we need to constantly tell ourselves about this balance. So please think about that as I go through. So what we're going to do now, again, is we're going to go through ten more of the herbal actions wrapping this up. These actions are not all specific to herbs. Many of them 
are simply pharmacological statements. So if I talk about something like the first one, which is an alterative, there are alterative drugs, right? There are alterative herbs. So I want you to understand that when I say something is a emollient or an astringent or a, a febrifuge, there can be modern medical um, counterbalance to that. So anything you hear today, you might hear an MD use describing a medication. But what we're talking about is the action that the herb has. And if you've listened to the other episodes, and if you haven't, you probably should. You should probably go back and listen to the first one, the second one, and the third one, and then just come back to this one. Um, you'll start to start to see, especially today, and this is why I'm excited today, you're going to start to see how all of these things mesh together and how some of these actions are very similar to other actions. We're going to talk about two specifically today, uh, a, a democulant and an emollient. And we're going to talk about them one right after the other, and you're going to see that they basically do the same things. They have a lot of herbs in common, but one is about a topical or like on-your-skin application, and the other one is about an internal application. So it's more how they're used, even though the, the, the herbs do the same thing. Sort of. You'll understand that as we get it. But, and we'll talk about some other ones, and we'll go back, and I'll remind you of other ones we've previously talked about. And you'll start to see this mesh and this interweb and that a lot of these, these herbs can be part of our diet. And if we have all of these things in our diet in moderation, right? You always hear every, anymore all this worrisome and danger and how, how dangerous comfrey is. But for 10,000 years, it was part of people's diets and they didn't fall over of liver damage like they, the modern people tell us it should. But when we fed nothing but comfrey to a rat long enough, we killed his liver. All of these things in moderation, anything in excess is bad. And if we, if we take the approach of this broad spectrum and all of this great nutrition, all these things we can grow in our backyard, we make them part of our diet, we're actually having these actions very gently in our bodies and on our bodies all the time. And we live healthier and longer with that concept of balance. That's so important that we understand that. Or none of these things are anything but big words that could be might as well be in a in a in a physician's PDR. Honestly, if we if we don't get that part of it, we miss everything. So the first one today is alterative, and an alterative that almost sounds like some kind of psychotrophic thing, right? Like LSD. It's not. It's a much more gentle thing. An alterative gradually restores health and vitality to the body by helping the body assimilate nutrients eliminate waste, and restore proper function. Now, we've already talked about actions that help you absorb nutrients or eliminate waste. So it's not like this is something really new to us, but what we're talking about here is a very long-term gradual effect rather than acute treatment. We're coming more back again to the balance. So it would stand a reason that the type of herbs we would want to use as an alterative to rebalance or to maintain balance and, and to be able to make sure that we are getting, when we eat good food, that the nutrients are coming into our bodies and are being absorbed and used. Because it's just, it, it doesn't help us to eat food that's full of nutrients if our body can't absorb them. We just pass them through. If we don't eliminate waste, the nutrients can't do their job. And if we don't have proper functioning throughout our body, we, we can't make anything work. So the stuff that we're going to use to, to balance that, to rebalance that, or maintain that balance needs to be stuff that we don't just take once in a while. It needs to be things that can become part of our diet overall. So some of the things that can do that, one is nettle, is in stinging nettles. 
Now, very few people in the modern world think of stinging nettle with any kind of positive association. If you know about it at all, it's probably because you've brushed up against it, you've got a really bad, itchy, painful rash, and you're like, I don't like that. I hate these things. I want to cut them down. But before uh, the world of Walmart... The nettle was one of the most important plants in the world. It was used as a pottery. How can you eat something that does this to you? Well, if you cook it, um, the acid that's on it that causes that action goes away. So simply by steaming it or boiling it short duration, we make the, it into a pot herb. It's also used for cordage and used for many things. But if you make it part of your diet, and let's face it, throughout much of America, it grows all over the place and it grows for a very long period of time. Uh, throughout the year where it's available, if we were to make that part of what we eat, if we occasionally, you know, instead of eating spinach with a, as a side dish, or in addition to spinach, ate a little bit of nettle, we're getting this alterative effect. How about garlic? This is why I cook, I cook garlic in almost everything. The only thing I don't put garlic in is like oatmeal. Right? When I'm making anything with meat or sauteing vegetables or anything, if I'm frying, sauteing, or grilling, garlic's probably going on it. If I said, If you ask most herbalists if you can only have one herb, what would it be? They would choose garlic is, is their primary. If you ask me my top three, it's going in, my, it's going to be in my top three. It's probably going to be ginger, garlic, and calendula is my top three. I can do so much with just those. But garlic, alterative, and chickweed. We have it growing in our lawns. It's everywhere. You can't get rid of it. People are buying seeds for it, not realizing until they grow it. I get emails from people. I bought some chickweed seeds from one of these seed guides, and I, I, I put it in my uh, garden, and I saw it growing, and I went, I've seen that before, and I actually realized it's growing all over my garden alre- or all over my yard already. Chickweed. Kind of has a corn silk-like flavor, not something you want to eat a big plate of it mixed in, chopped up little pieces of it mixed into a salad. It's a great addition, and it is, it's nice that way, or cooked in with some other mixed greens. Great stuff. And it's constantly rebalancing the body and helping the body maintain balance in realms of nutrient absorption, waste elimination, and overall proper function. Next one today. Uh, I'm going to do my best with the pronunciation of this one. Again, I'm not a Latin scholar or anything like that. But I believe it's anti-cateral. Anti-cateral. Anti-cateral is, is the way I would say it. Um, A-N-T-I-C-A-T-A-R-R-H-A-L anti-cateral. Um, but what this actually does is it counteracts the buildup of excess mucus and inflammation in the sinus and upper respiratory uh, parts. So that congestion in your head. Again, we don't really... Mucus is not a dinner table word that we try to use very often, but it's a common problem that, that people have. Having that buildup of excess mucus and, and inflammation uh, in, in the sinuses. It's something I've been dealing with with this crud, whatever this crud is that's been bothering so many people. And there's so many things that we can use that are very common. And as I look at my uh, my herbal throat spray and the cough syrup that, that Kyle sent me from uh, Western Botanicals, I see that, that some of the things that I've picked out are in there. Um, a, a four or five of them here that I can give you. Red clover, elderberry. Wild cherry, ginger, and garlic. All of these have the ability to help with upper respiratory excess mucus buildup and to relieve that, which is a very annoying thing to deal with if you have to deal with it for any length of time. The thing is that you can have an acute situation like an infection that I'm dealing with right now where you can only do so much with these. But people tend to deal with this problem on and off throughout years as part of an allergic reaction. And sometimes it's a very mild allergic reaction. It's not something that, that's incapacitating, but it's just annoying. And by having these things in our diet, we can reduce that. I also want to start talking about how some of this stuff links together. 
Uh, red clover. Red clover is a great cover crop. So a lot of times people are reluctant to plant cover crops in a home garden. You've only got a four foot by eight foot bed or a few of them, and you think, okay, I'm going to tie up my bed with this cover crop, like let's say uh, a mixture of Austrian winter pea and red clover during the, the winter time to, to, to revitalize the soil and build up some organic matter. I'm going to put nitrogen down because they're legumes, and uh, then I'm going to cut them down and turn them into the soil. And, and it has, hasn't to do that. Well, the more we can do with those things and, and get some kind of positive uh, aspect out of them, the better. And we can take some of that red clover and we can save it and we can use it for things like uh, dealing with excess sinus infection. Uh, elderberry is something that, that grows wild in so many places and a lot of people aren't really sure what to do with it. Well, the, the truth is that you can get the same action here from the berry and the juice itself uh, or you can get it from the, the blossoms. And a lot of people will take elderberry flower blossoms and they grow kind of like a flat pancake looking little pile of white blossoms. And they'll mix those into a fritter and fry that. And they're actually quite, quite good like that. Well, imagine that while you're doing all these things with elderberry, you're also helping to balance your body so that you don't deal with as much nasal congestion and sinus infection problems. Wild cherry grows all over the United States, honestly. You'd be surprised how easy it might be to find that wild cherry tree. And then ginger and garlic should be part of our everyday diet anyway. And if we have it, I mean, again, keep thinking, in, you know, we all these things that I've mentioned before and all these things that I'll mention today, if we keep adding these to our diet and start, use them for other things like on the skin and, and things like that, we start to realize that we can be constantly putting our body into a better state of balance. Whereas, what do most Americans do? Because they're not aware of these things. People, you don't learn this stuff in school. You take health class and they teach you about safe sex. And how to take a bath. And how to put deodorant on and brush your teeth. But they don't actually teach you about health. We should be teaching people about health in this country and we don't. And, and the, the simple fact that you are now becoming aware of these things makes you conscious so you make better decisions. And instead of doing what most Americans do, which is constantly place their body out of balance by putting things into their body and putting stresses on their body that are not natural, they're not human, it's not human food. Genetically modified corn is not human food. If you're eating that, you're eating non-human food. That's why you don't feel like a human being anymore. But all the stuff we're talking about here is very human. It's things that for 10,000 years this man walked in small bands all over the planet and became the human race that we are. These things were part of what we did. The next one is antioxidant, and that's probably one you've heard of before. It's one that's very well known. It's very heavily marketed uh, by supplement manufacturers and vitamin manufacturers, and that means it protects the body against free radical damage. What free radicals are are highly reactive compounds that bind and destroy other molecules. Um, so there's literally billions of free radicals floating around out there, and, and they actually damage you at the cellular level. And when you take something that's an antioxidant, what it basically does is it binds with that, uh, that, that, that free radical instead of letting it bond with your body. So it gets locked up by this, this, this component known as an antioxidant, and then it just comes, you know, passes through your body as waste. Whereas if you don't have lots of antioxidants in your body, then those free radicals are free to ravage and destroy your cells constantly. People that, you know, and I'm going to get all kinds of pushback here from the medical establishment if they ever listen to me about how there's no proof, there's no proof. But when you look at a person with a diet that's just heavy in antioxidants, 
and you look at them when they're 50 or 60 or 70 years old, and you look at a person that's been uh, heavily hit by free radicals their entire life and low antioxidants in their diet and in their lifestyle, the age difference in visual alone, when you look at one, they look much younger and healthier than someone of their age. And what they actually look like is what a human being is supposed to look like at 50 or 60 or 70. And we have modern people that live longer because of things like life support and life-saving drugs and some of the things modern medicine can do very well. But their quality of life in those years leading up to their final years is generally much lower today than it would be uh, otherwise if we were to have good health and if we had good antioxidant. So I want to talk about some antioxidants that you might, I mean, there's so many out there. I mean, the list of antioxidant herbs is a mile long. If you wrote it in very fine words, if you tried to write everyone down, on a little strip of paper, that strip of paper would be longer than your arm. That's how many antioxidants. So the more herbs, the more natural, healthy herbs in our diet, culinary herbs, you name it, anything that's safe, the more antioxidant we're getting. But let's talk about some, and let's start to bring some things in that I've taught you about in shows on permaculture. Let's start out with goji berry or wolfberry, the same thing, two different names for the same thing. Um, very easy to grow, very easy to propagate. It's probably nowhere in the United States, continental anyway. Uh, you probably grow them in Hawaii if they don't have a restriction against them. And I bet you could pull off certain parts of Alaska. You can't, I mean, there's almost nowhere you can't grow these things. You can get them as plants or you can propagate them from seed. Once you get your plants producing, you can keep making more and more and more of them. They grow as a little vine. They're long-lived. They're perennial. They taste great. Don't take too many because they have another action. I got one guy on Twitter very angry with me over this because he ate like a pound of them out of a bag that he bought. And uh, they have a laxative action. So too many in excess, right? You never do too much. But the way these things are traditionally used over in Asia where they're part of the everyday lifestyle is you dry them like little raisins and you just eat a handful every day. Or you take a little handful and you throw them in some hot water and you make a tea out of them. You drink the tea and then you eat the rehydrated uh, warmed fruit at the end. And they are huge in antioxidants. That's why a lot of the MLM companies out there, and folks, stop sending me your MLM stuff, all right? I'm not going to join your version of Amway. It's not going to happen. And don't tell me yours is better than everybody. But that's why a lot of those companies out there have made products from goji berry. Because it, it is an amazing antioxidant. But you don't need to fill up your garage or tell your friend about it to use it. You just grow it in your backyard, pick a handful a day and eat it. It's not a rare thing. It's rare in America because we haven't grown it, but it's one of the most common plants in its native range you will ever find. The things fall on the ground everywhere. Well, we can use that. How about sage? Did you know sage was an antioxidant? So another reason that I cook so often with sage, a little bit of sage chopped up, rubbed on a dove breast, looking at a little white-winged dove right now outside my window, thinking, man, a little bit of bacon, some sage, and maybe some garlic and onion and jalapeno, you'd be pretty good. But, you know, look at that way. I take this dove, I can't do it now because he's out of season, he's probably got a, a brood somewhere, honestly, and I don't, wouldn't want to kill him in the spring when he's got a brood. But uh, you take something like a dove that's so foreign to what most people would eat, we rub it down with some sage and garlic, and now we have not just better quality food, not less, less damage, but we're also putting antioxidants into our body. Black pepper. I, I, I try to get my wife and my son to use black pepper, they won't use it. I put fresh ground black pepper on just about all of the food that I eat. And it's also an antioxidant. It does a lot of other things as well that are positive for you. Now, black pepper is something used in excess that can be a problem. So we don't want to use it in excess, just like salt. We need salt to live. Too much, we do damage to our bodies. 
But black pepper, very safe for most people to use. Uh, and I think it has a wonderful flavor. And if the only pepper you're using is that stuff that comes in a can that you dump into a shaker and you think pepper doesn't really have that much flavor, it doesn't add that much to food, you're using the wrong kind of pepper. Get a good quality pepper mill. Uh, I have one made by a guy that makes drumsticks as well. I mean, actual drumsticks you beat drums with called Vic Firth. And uh, I bought it because I got tired of having junky, crappy uh, pepper mills. And I was at a gourmet store, and it was like 40 bucks for a pepper mill. And that's a lot of money for a pepper mill. Uh, but I'll probably never have to buy one again. And uh, he says in his little marketing collateral, you last one you'll ever buy. Well, it's the last one I'm ever going to pay for because I'm going to get it replaced if it ever goes out. But get a good pepper mill. And fresh ground black pepper is so different than that flat stuff that's in a can that's been sitting there for years before you bought it. Uh, the next one is oregano. Oregano is an antioxidant. So when you're making spaghetti and a little bit of pasta sauce and you go out in your garden and you pull that clump of oregano off and you chop it up real fine and you sprinkle it with basil and sage into your sauce and you make that sauce that came out of a jar or a can something a little better, you're actually helping your body fight free radical damage. See, this is why this is actually an exciting rather than an academic subject. Because these things are all around us if we'll just look. The next one is an astringent. An astringent contracts and firms and strengthens body tissue. And it does that by making proteins um, kind of coalesce together. And it reduces the excess, uh, it will also reduce excess secretions and discharge because it's causing uh, that contraction. And that's really the best thing you can just think of. If you want to know if something's an astringent, if it's safe to eat or taste, you can tell almost immediately. If you've ever had a, a, a really heavy red wine where you drink it, it kind of leaves you wanting to drink something else, and it makes you have that pucker factor. Or if you take something with high tannin, it's generally astringent. If you take an acorn and you scrape, you open it up, scrape a little bit of the brown part of the acorn off, you put that in your mouth, and it almost feels like it dries out and pulls your mouth and makes it pucker. Um, anything like that has got astringent qualities to it. Uh, some things that do that, though, are calendula. So calendula, that's part of why. It's not the only reason why. It's part of why it's often used topically on a wound. Because not only will it act as a drawing agent, help to pull infection out, but it also helps to, to tone, strengthen, and contract the surrounding tissue. That can reduce uh, excessive bleeding. Now, remember, there's a different action that actually is for that. But this action can kind of work together. See, all these actions start to kind of work together with each other. You know, we can have a, something with, with a septic action, which is uh, something that actually clots blood. And if we have something with an astringent action going along with it, we get a greater effect. These things begin to magnify themselves. Uh, another astringent, though, and this is why I mentioned my grandfather teaching me as a little bitty kid. You know, you cut your finger, you're going to put a Band-Aid on it. Well, hold on. Let's go out in the yard. That's a plantain. Let's take that leaf, let's wrap it around that cut, and let's put the band-aid over that. Well, that, he said it would help with infection, it would help with healing. Well, I'm sitting here now looking at it and going, well, it's also an astringent. He didn't know it was an astringent. You know, it was folk medicine to him. It's what his, his father and his father's father taught him. You get a cut, you put this on it, and it helps. Well, that astringent action that draws together, if you've got a cut and you kind of draw the area together and tighten around it, that is almost like, let's say, almost like stitching. It's not. It's not like drill sutures, but in a way it is because it draws the thing together. So an astringent is anything that contracts or firms or strengthens the body tissue and reduces excess secretion and discharge. Um, 
again, uh, so calendula and plantain, but here's one I've talked about before for your permaculture needs. And I'm going to talk about it several other times today. In fact, three times in a row to make the point of how things that we look at and go, that's foreign to us, um, actually can help us. And that's called sea buckthorn. Uh, again, sea buckthorn, it's, it's something I've mentioned on several of my shows about permaculture and long-term planning. Sea buckthorn is this awesome plant. I could have included it under antioxidant. It has lots of vitamin C. Vitamin C is an antioxidant. So anything with vitamin C, we go back to that antioxidant. But as far as an astringent, it can be used for that as well. And one of the awesome things about sea buckthorn is it's one of the few plants out there uh, that's perennial and that will grow damn near anywhere. Uh, has a lot of uses that we can use uh, without, you know, I mean, like Siberian pea tree is, is very hardy and can be used in a lot of places, but uh, there's not really great eating or anything. But we can get the juice out of the sea buckthorn and mix it with other things, and we can make a great dr juice to drink. Well, it also fixes nitrogen. And that's a huge thing to have in a permaculture system is perennials that fix nitrogen because we can literally cut them back and then they'll prune their own roots off, drop the nitrogen in the soil, and as the prune, prune part regrows, they'll expand their root system again, and we can cut them again, and the root system contracts, and they drop the nitrogen into the soil, and then it does it over and over and over. And the way they actually harvest these things, where they're grown commercially in, in Asia and Europe, is by they take the whole branch that's full of berries, and they just cut it off. So you're doing two things at once. You're pruning it back, and you're harvesting it at the same time. Uh, but it's an astringent. And we're going to talk more about what it can do for us as we go on. But remember, it's also an antioxidant. Now, how many people have actually heard of this if you haven't listened to this show and heard about it here? Uh, it's not something that's very widely known in America, but yet it's such an important plant in Europe and Asia. Because there's still so many places in Europe and Asia, I don't think people get this, where the stuff we're talking about today is an alternative. It's, it is what they have. Um, I don't think we know how well we have it in America today. And I think a lot of people think that's all about video games and iPhones and computers. There's a lot of places in the world that have developed that way. They have computers. They have iPhones. They have cellular networks. But they don't have the same access to immediate on-demand health care that we do. Even if they have a social health care system where it's free... There's only so much of it available. There's only so many doctors. There's only so many physicians. And a lot of these things, they've, they've realized that I don't need a doctor for this. And they've stuck with these conventional things. And that's one of the big reasons that plants like sea buckthorn are so, and, 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 um, and goji berry are still so widely grown and utilized in these other parts of the world. We can learn from that, folks. Keeping in mind, the reason we prep is because the systems could fail. And it's better to know how to deal without the systems while they're still here, while we can still fall back to them, than to wait till they're not available and try to get by. That's why we need to learn about these things now. That's why we need to grow these things now. So let's move on from astringent. The next one is the demuculant. A demuculant is any herb that is a, 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 a mucus-like herb. A mucilungeous is the way they say I can't really say that word very well. But mucilungeous herbs. And those are herbs that relax, soothe, and protect tissue. For demuculant action, it's also something you generally would take internally. Um, Kyle sent me some stuff for, for lungs and some of the stuff, you know, lung and chest congestion. And some of the very things I'm about to give you were in that formula that he sent me. Uh, these are things like comfrey, 
which is not in there. Um, marshmallow, uh, which is Slippery Elm, and then one that's not is Sea Buckthorn. But the Marshmallow and Slippery Elm are uh, both in the formula that he sent me for um, chest congestion. So I said Marshmallow. And most people, when they hear marshmallow, they think of those little puffy white things that you stick on a stick that are all full of corn syrup that you roast over a fire. And, hey, even though they have corn syrup in them, go ahead and roast a marshmallow once in a while in the summertime. It's a great thing. Our bodies can handle a little bit of the negative. We just shouldn't be eating all of it every day. So why do I bring that up? Because marshmallow actually is where the original marshmallow came from. But it's a flower, and it's a root, a very mucolungus root. Uh, and that root was used to create the original confection. And today we use things like high fructose corn syrup instead. Had we stuck to using marshmallow, um, we would have uh, something with a very demuculant action, which is going to help to do what? Relax and soothe and protect our internal tissues, especially our respiratory system. So I said that there will be certain herbs that would have overlap, and the same herb might be able to do the same two things, but it's more about how it's applied. So with demuculant, think about it, it's internal. So if we have to soothe the chest, we want to take these things internally. Comfrey, again, I have to put out the warning that in excess it's been proven to cause liver damage. And I can't recommend that you go eat comfrey because somebody from the government will show up at my house and shoot me in the head or something. But my personal belief with comfrey and with internal use, this is for my personal belief only, that in moderation it's safe, proven, and effective over 10,000 years. All right, so you do what you want with that. But these are all things that go and are used internally. And again, sea buckthorn shows up there. Uh, slippery elm is a type of elm tree that if you break the leaves off and you feel it, there's really kind of a mucusy feeling to them. And uh, they used to be everywhere. They're a lot harder to find now, but there's still a lot of them out there in the wild. There's certainly something you can plant. Uh, they're a very long-lived tree, and they are really, it's really one of the great herbs to deal with chest congestion because of this demuculant action. Uh, marshmallow, very common. Uh, it's actually a very pretty flower. Uh, it likes those, the, the, uh, the highly wet soils. That's why it's a marsh plant. That's actually marshmallow. It's a mallow type of flower. That grows in the marsh. That's where that actually comes from, not from the Stay Puff guy. I think a lot of Americans have no idea there's actually a flower that that originally came from anyway. So we've just talked about the muculant. I was talking about how some things are the same on both sides. Well, the next one is emollient. And emollient actually kind of does the same thing. It, it, it soothes and protects the skin and the tissue, but it, it's used externally. So where we would use a demuculant internally for a soothing action and a protecting action, we would use an emollient externally like a lotion or a liniment or a rub. Some common emollients are almond, violet, chamomile, and once again, sea buckthorn. And I just wanted to point out how many places sea buckthorn would show up today. Because it's a plant, again, that I've talked about planting that I think a lot of people look at and I don't know, you know, they think maybe it doesn't make sense for us. But if you want to soothe and protect the skin, we can use, again, almond, violet, chamomile, uh, one that I left out that's a great one. It actually brings the mucus consistency back is aloe. Aloe is one of the greatest emollients in the world. Everybody should have a few aloe plants. Uh, they can't handle the winter, so they need to be something in a pot that you can bring indoors and things like that. But aloe is really a wonder herb. So emollient, again, is something we apply to the skin to soften, soothe, and protect it. Uh, so um, like if we were to make a liniment of almond oil, uh, sea buckthorn, violet, chamomile, 
and uh, aloe and put that together, uh, that would be very, very healthy for the skin and very, very safe as well. Uh, the next one is a febrifuge. A febrifuge. Uh, now, that should be something that, that starts to sound like something else. Febra or fever. All right. So that's exactly what it is. Is a, a febrifuge helps to assist the body in relieving a fever. And this is where we do get into a little bit of the replacement therapy. I, I don't think the replacement therapy concept is wrong as a whole. It's just wrong as the overriding theme. So if we have a fever and we have a headache associated with that fever and body aches and we don't have access to aspirin or Tylenol or Motrin or it's not that bad and we want to do it more gently and allow the fever maybe even to still exist. Because remember, when you have a fever, right, if it's not excessive, many times it's better to allow it. Because what it is is you have an infection of some sort, a bacteria, a virus, whatever it is in your body that's infecting you. And what your body's doing with a fever response is it's raising your body temperature. And it's raising it to a level that hopefully will harm the pathogen but allow you to be okay. When fevers run away and we start getting into numbers like 104, 105, 106 where people can die, that's when the infection is so rampant that the body just goes haywire. But in these moderate fevers, you know, 99, 100, 100 and a half, 101 degrees, a lot of times that fever serves a very strong purpose to help you heal. It's a healing response. But it can be discomforting. So things like white willow, peppermint, and dandelion are all feverfuges that can help moderate that fever and relieve that fever, but maybe leave it still do its job and relieve the, the symptoms of the fever like a headache and what have you. But feverfuge, fever, feverfew is another plant I didn't put in the list, but you know it's why it's called feverfew. Uh, it looks almost sort of like chamomile, but they're a little bit smaller flowers. Uh, so there's a lot of things that will do uh, the job of a febrifuge or a feverfuge, however you want to say that. Uh, but again, white willow is probably the best known and most effective one of them, and that is where we get um, uh, the. That's where we actually get aspirin from. Uh, is White Willow. Uh, the next one is one, if you listen to it, and you remember what we learned earlier about the last part of it, and you listen to the center, you might be able to figure out what it is, even if you've never heard it before. It's Galactagogue. Galactagogue. I'm sorry, Galactagogue is the way you would say that. Well, let's let's break the word down. What does Gogue, Goge mean? It means to flow. Goge. Because we talked about it uh, as as a, as a part of other herbal actions in the past, so goge is to flow. Leave out the ga, the ga, and, and just go to the center part. Lact, l-a-c-t, as in lactate. So a galactagoge actually helps to increase the flow of lactation or mother's milk. So a galactagoge helps a mother produce milk. Uh, at, at higher rates and, and flow more easily. So this is something that a, a lactating mother would actually take. So obviously the herbs that uh, are dangerous for a lactating mother to take wouldn't be used for this action even if they had it. So we have to stick with very safe things. And I've stayed extremely safe with the three that I'm going to talk about. But there's a tremendous amount of them that you can, you know, get professional advice with and you can you consult manuals and books with. But the ones I'm going to give you today are basil, dill, and garlic. Basil, dill, and garlic. So if we have a, 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 a mother that's breastfeeding and we make basil, dill, and garlic part of her diet, 
which is really easy to do because they're great herbs to cook with. Again, garlic in everything, basil in most things, dill in lots of things. Uh, we can help increase that flow of mother's milk. Now, that can be really important in the future if we end up in a situation where you just can't run down to the store and buy formula. And a woman's having problem producing enough milk for her baby and being a proper wet nurse for the baby. Uh, that is an issue. I also, and I've never done this, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but it would seem to me that including certain herbs in the diet of things like uh, meat rabbits at a time when the mother is nursing would be a good idea. If it'll work for us, it'll work for them. So, you know, when you're feeding that mother rabbit her, her general uh, ration of alfalfa and things like that, uh, by going and maybe plucking a couple bits of dill and uh, maybe just the green piece of some garlic and a few basil leaves and including that in her little pile of food for the day, you may help her better feed her babies. You get healthier babies that nurse better, that, that come off the nurse you know, the nursing faster and are grown up into little meat rabbits faster and you're putting all that in their body and thereby you're eventually putting it into your body and ever all healthy. But, you know, again, basil, dill, and garlic have all these other great actions as well. And they're culinary herbs. They're food. This is safe as we can get when it comes to herbal treatment with something that, you know, is a little bit touchy. Because whenever we're dealing with a woman who's either pregnant or lactating, we have to use additional caution. And here, we're as cautious as we could possibly be. And instead of risking the health, we're actually improving it. The next one is called a hypnotic. Now, hypnotic is one I bet you could figure out really easy. Hypnotic, you know, hypnotism, go to sleep. Again, hypnotic, though, sounds like something like, you know, uh, something that would be just kind of zonk you out and zone you out. But it's more about having a powerful, relaxant, relaxant and sedative action. And it is designed to really to help induce sleep, to help you go to sleep and stay asleep and sleep calmly through the night. It's not about uh, getting stoned, which I think some people would hear that and think of it as an herbal alternative to illegal narcotics. It's not what it is at all. Uh, some examples, though, and one you're going to hear you know, right away is going to make you think of narcotics, but it doesn't have the type of narcotic action uh, that its, its relative does, and uh, it's the California poppy. California poppy is a great hypnotic herb uh, designed to help reduce relaxation. If you go out and you buy any kind of nighttime, help you sleep, help you rest, relax you tea, one thing you're definitely going to find in it is chamomile. So if we made a tea with chamomile and California poppy, we'd be on our way to some real good Z's. And uh, the last one is passion flower. Uh, passion flower and passion fruit, uh, both. Uh, can be used as hypnotics. And it depends on how they're used. Eating passion fruit is not really going to have much of a uh, hypnotic uh, effect on you if it's by itself and eaten as food. But a little bit of passion fruit juice added to this tea that's made from passion flower, chamomile, and California poppy will improve its flavor and increase its overall relaxing effect. Now you might be thinking, well, the problem with passion flowers, we're dependent on, you know, tropical regions to get our passion flowers. But we're not. Remember what we've learned in permaculture shows. There is a passion flower native to North America that is hardy, I think, into zone three, and it's called maypop. And maypop has all the same great benefits that more conventional passion flowers have. And we can grow it, you know, in places like the northern Pennsylvania and New York State. 
And uh, so we can we can also grow other types of passion flowers in greenhouses and bring them in to protect them when it gets below 40 degrees and things like that. But maypop we can grow it every year. It dies back to the ground in the cold winter weather, and it comes back again and again and again. And it turns out that it's hypnotic. It's also an the fruit is also an antioxidant. You start to realize that if we would just grow so many of these things in our backyards. And notice I haven't talked about things like apples and pears and annual vegetables that take up all this space and all this work. All of the things I'm talking about can be grown in anybody's backyard today. Any, If you have enough grass that you need a lawnmower, you can eliminate that grass and grow everything I've talked about today and most of the things I've talked about in the other shows. And the few things that we can't grow here like black pepper, let's face it, we could store tons of black peppercorn. And it stores very well if it's not ground. And it retains so much of what it has to offer. The last one we're going to talk about today is um, one I think you'll be able to figure out sort of what it does just from the word. And that is stomachic. Stomachic. Well, what does that sound like? You know, stomach. And that's exactly what it affects. A stomachic uh, stimula it's like a stimulative tonic to the stomach. Remember, we've talked about tonic action before. Tonic action is something that, that, that improves the overall health and vitality of something. So we stimulate the overall health and vitality of the stomach with a stomachic. Now, some of the things that we would immediately think of if we've ever worked with herbs before would be things like peppermint. If your stomach's upset, you can take peppermint. And peppermint can help. In fact, one of the herbs that I have for you that has this action is a, a mint relative, a, a, a relative of peppermint and spearmint, and that's lemon balm. But we have to think about, you know, when we think about peppermint and we think about herbs that generally would be used for an upset stomach, we are thinking about something that we've also already talked about, and that's a uh, called a carminative. We talked about that, I think, in the first or second uh, of this series. A carminative is a calming agent for the stomach, where uh, a stomachic is more of a, a, a general stimulant for the stomach that tonifies the stomach, that strengthens it, that, that makes it more able to be healthy long term. So we start to see that the two come together, And we realize that the, the, the very thing that we can use with maybe a little bit more to treat the acute problem of upset stomach or angry stomach or what have you, if used in moderation over long term, prevents it from ever happening, like stuff from the mint family uh, having both actions. Uh, but, you know, kind of wrapping this up, stomachic, here's some things that will help the stomach and give that tonic stimulating effect. I already said lemon balm. Well, also basil and rose. Uh, rose using either rose petals in a tea uh, or using uh, rose hips in a tea or using it to make rose, rose hip jelly. Uh, there's so many things we can do with rose. And we don't generally think of rose as an herb. We think of it as a flower. But it's an herb. And it has vitamin C. So it's an antioxidant. And it's just, I really love the way... And this is why I was so excited about today's show, about how these all things in the end, they all coalesce. We take basil. It's got antioxidant action. It's got emollient action. It's got, it's got like probably 20 of the, of the 40 actions we've talked about in this one simple plant that could be part of our diet on a daily basis. Lemon balm. It stimulates the stomach in a tonifying way, but it also helps soothe the, soothe the stomach. So we can use a tea with it to do either or. But it's also good on the skin as an emollient. It's, it's, it's a relaxing herb. So we can use it for hypnotic and calmative effects. Right? We can also use it as a carminative. 
We could take rose and we could say, if our stomach is needs to be tonified, we can use rose hips in our tea, which makes the tea taste great. But we're also providing this antioxidant effect. You start to realize that nature is so much smarter than science, that everything we really need for that ongoing balanced day-to-day use is right outside our window if we'll just plant it, grow it, cultivate it, and encourage it. And this is why I find herbal medicine and herbal health, and I think herbal health is a better term than herbal medicine. This is why I find herbal health so fascinating and so wonderful. I don't have to be a master herbalist to practice good herb use in my life. I can literally fill my entire yard, or when I move to Arkansas, half of my mountain with herbs upon herbs upon herbs. And there can be herbs that have to be used a little bit cautiously and have to be considered maybe need additional preparation and have to be combined with others. And I need to consult a manual or go to a professional or, or go to a supplier like Western Botanicals to get maybe that one herb that's harder to get that I can't grow or find locally. But the vast majority of what I'm going to use, I can just walk through my garden every day and grab a handful of this and a cutting of that and a clip of this. And I can include it just like people did for millennia as part of what, what I'm going to, what I'm going to consume, what I'm going to eat. And instead of getting my food from a box, I can get it from my garden. And all the while, all the while I'm balancing my body. I'm making my body in tune with nature and I'm treating my body the way that my body was, has evolved to be treated. We did not evolve as a species, as a group of human beings to consume things that were contained within gelatinous capsules. We just didn't. Our, our bodies were never designed to heal themselves from something that came from a pharmacy. Now, it's great that we can do those things. And for, you know, God forbid if I get cancer, I'm going to go see an oncologist. And as long as it's a, a cancer with proven traditional treatment, I'm going to follow his recommendations if he knows what the hell he's doing. And hopefully it'll cure me. And if it's a cancer that's not very well treated by modern medicine, and there's alternative treatments, I'm going to do that. Hopefully I'm going to find a way to do both. Hopefully I don't ever have to deal with it, but so many of us do. But how many people have to deal with cancer because their body is constantly under attack from free radicals, and we have antioxidants like goji berry, sage, black pepper, oregano, basil, garlic, ginger, that if we just made them part of our bodies, instead of taking supplements and pills, bottles and bottles of pills, and this vitamin dissolves better than this vitamin, and this one's more bioavailable than that, and this one's got grapeseed extract, and this one's got pycnogenol, and on and on and on. I'm not even putting those things down, but I'm saying, how much of that could we do for ourselves? If we were just to take these things that was made by the universe, made by God, made by spirit, however you want to put it, created here for our use, if we would put these things into our body, and how much better would our food taste if it was seasoned with basil, garlic, oregano, sage, and dill, rather than fructose corn syrup, monosodium gluttonate, GMO cornmeal, and soy isoflavins that are designed to be, that are actually very good for us until we genetically modify them. How much better off would we be? How much less cancer would there be? How much less heart attacks would there be? How much less cardiological disease? How much less mental disorder? How much less problems for the body as a whole and for the species as a whole 
if we would just take responsibility for our own health, not our own medicine, but our own health, in the form of knowing the things that you've learned in these four episodes. I don't expect anybody here to be a walking encyclopedia, and if you walk up to me and pick three of these at random, I'll probably get two right and one wrong. And just say, what is a, what is a, what is a carminative? What is an emollient? What is a, you know, what is a stomachic? What is a steptic? I may or may not be able to just recite them, but I, I know they're there. I'm aware of them. And I constantly take a look at them and say to myself, what is that? What are the things that this plant can do for me? What if every day we went out and we learned one plant? We learned all the herbal actions of one plant. And we learned five or six ways to get it into our, our daily use, if it's a daily use type plant. Or we learned how to use it for acute situations, short-term specific uses. We just did that with one plant a week, let alone a day. That's 52 a year. One a month is 12 a year. The, the, the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook gives you 35 herbs and said if you know those 35, you could do almost anything you would ever need to do as a layperson. But in a lifetime, even at 12 a year, 10 years is 120. If we learn one a week, we can literally know how to take care of ourselves. And to me, that's what herbal health is really all about. It's not about replacing the doctor. It's about making the doctor less necessary. The reason we have a healthcare crisis in this country isn't because of the way doctors are paid. It isn't because of your health insurance company. It's because of the way that we treat our bodies. And I'm not talking about becoming a health nut and living on granola and, and becoming a vegan because you're probably going to be far less healthy that way anyway. What I am talking about is understanding that some things damage the body and some things help strengthen, repair, and tonify the body. And just by consuming less of the damaging items and more of, of the, the, the stimulating, tonifying, positive things, we can live healthier. And that is if times never get tough. That is right now. That is if everything, if I'm wrong about the economy, if I'm wrong about everything and everything rebounds and everything is great and everything is super, you're better off. And God forbid if we ever end up in a really bad, long-term crisis situation, your health is going to be more important then than it could ever possibly be. To me, herbology and a basic understanding of the things that are healthy for us is a gateway to a healthier, happier, less stressed life. And to me, that's a great way to live. And with that, I will sign off today. I hope you've enjoyed this series. And this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
Yeah.